Al Jazeera podcast. It was after 7 p.m. local time when we heard that most of those on the ground in Gaza lost contact with the world. This was a message from our colleague, Al Jazeera correspondent, Tarek Abu Azum. He's been reporting from Al Nasser Hospital in southern Gaza. Everyone now is, is, is really terrified and afraid. Uh, journalists here, every, even the citizens who are inside the hospital, they don't have any access to their networks. They don't have any kind of communication even with their neighbors. Most of the 2.3 million people there were cut off during another night in the Gaza Strip plunged into darkness, lit up by explosions. People that must reach the ambulances, the hospitals, the risky teams, they cannot dial and uh, call or inform about uh, any accident any, or any explosion anywhere. And soon after, an announcement came from the Israeli military. Ground forces are expanding their operations tonight. He says we call on residents of Gaza City to move south. So it does look as though it's uh, pretty clear they are intending to move forward with some sort of significant military operation. So with nearly all communication in Gaza cut off and an impending Israeli ground invasion seemingly closer than ever, what do we know so far? I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Despite the blackout, some of our colleagues have been able to tell us what exactly is happening to Palestinians on the ground in Gaza. Like almost everyone in Gaza now, Tariq hasn't been able to receive information from the outside world. Everything now is disconnected. We don't have any internet. We don't have any kind of signals on our phones. We become totally isolated in the territory. But luckily for the world, he's still able to broadcast live on Al Jazeera. For those of you who just joined us, let me explain why we're doing it the way that we're, we're doing Tarek. In fact, most of Gaza has had its communications cut off, and Tarek, of course, has been uh, affected by that, as has his team. He's able to talk to us because he has television standard uh, systems for broadcasting, but we can't contact him, which is why every time he is able to broadcast to us, we're going to him as fast as we can. All the areas inside the Gaza Strip are witnessing the same conditions as we are right now. The Gaza Strip has turned to be an isolated spot from the world. And he left us and the world a call to action. The ground, the situation on the ground is really terrible. Everyone is afraid. Everyone is terrified. Please, guys, if you can hear us, send this message to the world that we are becoming isolated. If you can hear us, guys, thank you so much. And meanwhile, the same bombings that cut off internet and phone access continued. And the public was given a reason for it soon after. This is Daniel Hagari, a spokesman for the Israeli military, also known as the IDF. Our ground forces are expanding their ground operations. IDF is operating at all dimensions in order to achieve the goals of the war. Israel has ordered Palestinians in Gaza to move south, even though bombardment continues there. 
and Hagari identified hospitals as potential targets. He explicitly mentioned Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. We've exposed the underground sphere and how this hospital was converted into using terrorist activities. And he went on to say, We will not be able to allow to conduct terrorist activities against Israel from hospitals, and together with the world, we'll have to somehow deal with this red flag. This is something that the state of Israel cannot allow. A government spokesman in Gaza said this is not true. We heard from the head of the government media office in Gaza, uh, who spoke earlier at Al-Shifa Hospital, and he strongly denied Israel's accusations that Hamas is using the hospital as a shield for its tunnels. The hospital compound is home to more than 60,000 displaced persons, thousands of victims, injured, and patients. In addition to the relatives of the victims, along with the representatives of dozens of international media outlets, All this proves that the false allegations raised by the Israeli occupation forces are fabricated. The hospital where Tariq is reporting from is in southern Gaza, in Khan Yunus. This massive bombardment really obstructed the process of work for the medical workers and even civil defense teams. Till uh, till now, the uh, medical workers are facing great difficulty in having access to the victims and even to the destroyed building due to the intensity of the Israeli bombardment. Humanitarian organizations like the Palestinian Red Crescent Society, the World Health Organization, and UNICEF have also said they lost complete contact with staff in Gaza. Tarek has been on the ground reporting to us from the south, while Al Jazeera journalist Safwat Al-Khalut reports from the north. That's the area where Israel has told people to leave. By the early hours of Saturday morning local time, he still had phone access, and this is what he told Al Jazeera. After a few minutes of uh, relatively calm situation now, a few minutes ago, the Israeli artillery resumed, uh, the heavy uh, bombardment across the borderline, uh, especially in uh, east, the eastern side of Gaza City uh, and in the north, and now even extended to the eastern, uh, sorry, in the central area of the Gaza Strip where we are staying. Uh, I am standing now on the rooftop of my building where I'm staying, and I could see uh, the flashes of the, uh, the Israeli artillery uh, blowing up across the borderline. Safwat says the communication cutoff has sparked panic. Since the Israelis asked people to move to the south, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians uh, were forced to uh, to leave their uh, areas, either because of the heavy, heavy bombardment in, to, in their residential places or because uh, of fear from uh, more Israeli strikes. So, they left behind them half of their families, relatives, parents, uh, and sons who couldn't move or who preferred to stay. It's also in the south, when people moved or displaced to the south, they went. They have been distributed in different places. So these people, because of the difficulties of moving around the Gaza Strip and reaching the other half of the families in the north and in the south, 
So the only way to to communicate is either through uh, internet uh, or social media and or mobile calls. So now, because every now and then there is an Israeli explosion, people used to contact each other immediately to make sure that uh, they are alive and they were not targeted. Now, since now we are almost four or five hours without internet and without any uh, means of communication, there is fear and panic among the civilians. And Tariq, in the south, was among those disconnected from family, Safwat says. I'm sure that our colleague Tariq is also worried about his family because he's now based in Nasser Hospital and his family is 20 kilometers from him. There's something flashing. It's in the, still in Gaza and the north. So I'm sure that Tariq is also worried like many families, many parents. Safwat also says that from his experience, what has happened is not necessarily an introduction to a full ground invasion. It's possible it's a more limited incursion, but all that is still unfolding as we record. As for the international community, the United Nations was active during the early hours of the blackout. On the same evening, the UN General Assembly met to vote on a resolution to call for a humanitarian truce introduced by Jordan. And a few hours after communication was cut off in Gaza, there was a result. We now understand that that General Assembly resolution has been approved. This resolution calls for a humanitarian truce in Gaza, non-binding, of course. A non-binding result, meaning Israel doesn't have to do anything. For Marwan Bashara, Al Jazeera senior political analyst, this moment at the UN was all too familiar. He's Palestinian and has written and reported on Palestine and Israel for most of his life. This is a symbolic importance for this resolution, but it doesn't have any muscle whatsoever. And I think the, the going wisdom in Israel throughout its history is the following. The world can say what it must, and we will do what we want. This is the Israeli's wisdom throughout its 75 years history, and it will continue to be today after this resolution. That's why, let me suggest the following. If Israel does not follow through, does not accept this resolution, does not abide by it like it did not abide by countless, hundreds of UN General Assembly resolutions and dozens of UN Security Council resolutions, if it doesn't abide, can we finally say that Israel is, as a country, in greater breach of international law, of UN resolutions than any other country in the world? Can we say that this country that was created by the United Nations should be censured, should be frozen, should be reprimanded, should be expelled from the United Nations as being the country in the greatest, most historic breach of the United Nations resolutions and international law? That's a rhetorical question. But yes, we are at a moment where there is a symbolic victory, but we know all too well from history that Israel will go on with its wisdom. The world can say what it wants, what it must, but we will do what we want. The genocide in Gaza. And that's the take. 
This episode was produced by Chloe K. Lee and Amy Walters with Ashish Malhotra, David Enders, Faranisa Campana, Khaled Sultan, Miranda Lynn, Suri Al-Khalili, Sonia Bagat, Zaina Butter, and me, Natasha Del Toro. In from Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexander Locke is the Takes executive producer. And Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back with you soon.